Matthew chapter 10 as you guys are taking your seats. And let's do the smart thing and give everything over to the Lord before we get started. Heavenly Father, good to be here today, just a day to just celebrate you, beautiful weather, time of fellowship and worship, and just Mother's Day. What a wonderful day to be here. Just go before this, Lord. Let your spirit teach, we listen, just guide and direct in all things, and help us to learn more of you, apply it to our lives, and then be those lights and witnesses you've called us to be in your name. Amen. Alrighty, Matthew chapter 10. A little bit of background on how we got into Matthew chapter 10. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, chapters 8 and 9 have been laying down the case for Christ being the Messiah. There's been two words that we've been saying with that. Proof and power. The proof of Him being the Messiah is power over nature, over sin, over sickness, over death, over leprosy. And then the power of those things, that He could do that. Only the Messiah could have the power to do that, and therefore that is the proof of Him being the Messiah as well. So what we did is we built up to this point that the Messiah is doing these things, Christ. But he also has a heart, verses 35 and 36 of chapter 9, of compassion for everybody. So how does he want to minister to those people that are hurting? As we mentioned last week, verses 37 and 38 of Matthew 9. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he says the way to minister to them is to send people out. And as we mentioned last week, pray for that. Pray that people could be sent out to be a light and a witness. And also pray to see if you're willing to be sent out to be a light and a witness. Last couple of years we've been talking about this. The idea of being a disciple. Disciples. We want to follow the teachings of Jesus. We're a disciple of Christ. But we also want to disciple other people. Help them learn the teachings of Jesus. We want them to go deeper in their walk and relationship as well. And we want people to grow in God. Know who the Lord is. And then go out and do something about that. Well, here Jesus sends out the twelve to go out and do that. Here's the missions trip of the twelve that he sends out in Matthew chapter 10. Prayed for laborers to be sent out. He sends out the twelve. What can we learn from these guys? Verse 1 of Matthew 10. And we had called his twelve disciples to him. He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Libus, whose surname was Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So here's your twelve. Now, a little bit of background on how we got to these guys. First off, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said he sent them out in two-by-twos. Two-by-twos. Now, that's an important point. Jesus has always told us from the beginning that this is a team concept. This is the body of Christ. There are no solo Christians. If you're trying to go out there on your own and do it on your own, you're missing the point. Jesus wants us to work together as the body of Christ. Now, that creates problems and difficulties. And we're going to see that with the 12. Number two, before Jesus picked these guys, according to Luke 6, he prayed all night. He prayed all night. What an example. If Jesus, who is God in flesh, is still praying all night to God the Father to seek wisdom and guidance on who to pick, how much more should we be people of prayer in all that we do and all that we say? Please understand with prayer, I firmly believe prayer is overlooked and it's underused. So often when we got a big decision... We'll give a quick little prayer. Lord, guide me. Guide, direct me. Here Jesus spent all night in prayer for these people. He would rather lose a night of sleep and make the right decision. What an example that is for us. And I firmly believe more is accomplished by prayer than what you can ever imagine. 
I tell you, the Lord moves and works in prayer. He really does. And when you get the body of Christ praying, it's an amazing thing. If you have a child or a marriage or a relationship or a work or financial situation, and it seems overwhelming, prayer, that's where you've got to battle it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6 says, but it's a prayer battle. Never give up praying. Never stop praying. And we see that here with Jesus, a night of prayer to pick these 12. Now, we can make the joke real quick that he should have prayed a little more. Because these guys are not the cream of the crop. I mean, they're not. These guys are fascinating individuals. And when you put them together, you just see this amazing group of people. When I say amazing, I don't necessarily mean amazing talents and abilities. It's amazing that the Lord decided this is the group to go with. Let's talk about these guys for a second. First one, Peter. Verse 2, Simon, who's also called Peter. How would you describe Peter? Headstrong, impulsive, sure of himself, braggadocious. This is not the first guy you want to pick to change the world. Now, granted, Peter, when he gets uh, full of the Spirit in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, different guy in the book of Acts. You still see a little bit of the old Peter, but Peter in the Gospels, headstrong, impulsive, sure of himself. Now, as we go through these guys, I want you to think of a couple things. Number one, ask yourself, who are you in this group? Number two, realize these are the people you worship with. These are the people you will minister with. So when you are ministering and worshiping and serving with a Peter, it can be frustrating. But Jesus did it for three years, too. Who do we have next? Andrew. Andrew, a brother of Peter. He was originally a disciple of John the Baptist. But what we see with Andrew is he brought Peter to Jesus. In fact, when you see Andrew in the Gospels, he is always introducing people to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He just introduces people to Christ. What a neat message that is. Then we have James and John, brothers again, fishermen again. Now, Jesus calls these guys the sons of thunder. If you ever notice in the gospel, Jesus liked to give nicknames. It's just something he liked to do. Sons of thunder. Why? Because one time when they were ministering to an area and the area was not receptive to the gospel, James and John had the great idea to call fire down from heaven and destroy them. Jesus kind of said, you missed the whole point of the gospel, guys. So he called them sons of thunder. James was one of the first martyrs of the church. He was killed about 12 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, according to the book of Acts. And his brother John lived probably the longest of any of the apostles. Lived probably in his early 90s. Wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation, and the Gospel of John. Next we have Philip. Philip was one of the first disciples. Brought people to Jesus. He, in fact, brought Nathaniel to Jesus. When you see Philip in the Bible, he's always introducing people to Christ. What a neat picture that is. Who do we have next? Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel. Skeptical at first. When he first meets Jesus, he doesn't know what to think. In fact, he says, can anything good come out of Nazarenes? Because he didn't know for sure if Jesus was the real deal or not. Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap. Why? Because he's always known as what? Doubting Thomas. When you read Thomas's and every sentence that Thomas says in the gospel, he's not necessarily doubting Thomas. He's honest. He's honest. Have you ever been in one of those prayer meetings in church? Have you ever been in one of those meetings at church where somebody's almost too honest? Yeah, that's Thomas. What they're saying, everybody thinking, but no one really wants to say it, that's Thomas. What do we have next? We have Matthew, the tax collector, also known as Levi. James the Lesser. Nothing recorded by James the Lesser. In fact, his name even is a bit demeaning, James the Lesser. Because there was a James the Greater. There's going to be people in church that you may be saying, you know, I've gone out to that church for 10, 15 years, and I've never heard that man speak a word. (laughs) That's James the Lesser right there. Thaddeus or Jude? 
He was asking some questions at the Last Supper. Simon the Zealot, which we'll get to in a little bit, or Simon the Canaanite there. And then you have Judas, the one that betrayed him. Okay, what can we make some points out of this? These are plain, common people. Plain, common people. There are no theologians in this group. There's nobody with doctorate degrees. There's nobody that went to seminary. There's none of that. These are just plain, common people. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, when God describes the people he wants to use, he says they're not wise, they're not smart, they're not strong. He calls them debased. They're the lower of the earth. They're the bottom of the barrel people. That's who he says he wants to use. And just look around the church. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. That's who we are. That's not an insult. Because what he says later on in 1 Corinthians 1 is the reason he picks these people is because there should be no glory in themselves. All the glory goes to God. Because when you look around and you say, Wow, Lord, look at what you're working with. And the world is being changed for you. Amen. It has to be the Lord. When you look at these guys and you say, They don't bring anything to the table. God says, That's the point. It's all about me working in them. See, in Acts chapter 4, when they're brought before the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish body at the time, they kind of put them out of the room, and this is their response to these guys. They said, listen, these guys are just fishermen that hung out with Jesus. How do they know this stuff? How can they debate like this? How can they communicate like this? They're just regular, common, plain people that the Lord did miraculous, mighty things with. That's what I love about these guys. And that's what we are today. Regular, common, plain people that the Lord just wants to do miraculous, mighty things with. The question comes up is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be one of those people? Because it's not about what you know. It's not about who you know. It's about whether you know Christ or not. Because that's all that matters. So, what can we learn from this? Number one, putting these people together, you learn this. You will not always agree on life scenarios. These guys were arguing on a regular basis. The body of Christ, you will not always agree on life scenarios. Now, I hope we all agree on eternity, and Jesus is the only way, but there's going to be life scenarios that pop up that you're going to be talking to someone in the body of Christ, and they're going to say, I can't believe that's the way they would handle it. Don't let Satan get in there and cause a division on that. You will not always agree on life scenarios. Number two, you will not always do things the same way. You will not. You may do a project a certain way. Somebody else may do a project the other way. It doesn't make your way right and their way wrong. And it doesn't make you wrong and them right. There's a uniqueness to the body of Christ, and we will not always do things the same way. And you know what else? We'll not always see the same priorities in the church. We'll not always see the same priorities in the church. Now, hopefully we all agree that it's the gospel and gospel only. But when it comes to the day-to-day running of a church, everybody's going to see ministry and activities and priorities in a slightly different way. Slightly different way. I'll give you a great example of this, and I hope I don't offend anybody when I say this. Okay? I love dandelions in a yard. Now, how many of you here hate dandelions in yards? Yeah, some of you hate it. See, you guys are sinners, and I'm okay with that. I don't... The, the bright yellow dandelion against a green grass, I think, is beautiful. So every now and then, someone will come out and say, oh, I'll come out and spray those dandelions for you. Why would you do that? They're beautiful. Everybody sees different priorities. We're not going to always agree. Now, the focus is the gospel, and that's what matters most. But we will see life differently. We'll have different priorities, and we'll do things differently. But we are one as the body of Christ. Paul writes in Corinthians that there's many different body parts, and they all serve a different function. We need to remember that. There's different activities, different ministries, different everything. We have to remember that. 
It's taken me years. When I was writing down these notes for this lesson, as I wrote this down, I thought, do I really believe this as I'm writing this down? And this is what I believe. I've reached a point in my walk with Christ and as the pastor of this church, I can celebrate the differences that we have. It took me a while to get to that point. As long as we're gospel-focused, we're going to do things differently and we can celebrate those differences. Now, what about these 12? What about these 12 here? What differences would they have had? Just, just think about this. As, you list, as I list these people, and I just do a brief description of them, you probably could pick somebody that you know and you serve with that meets that personality. Maybe that personality is you. Loud and boisterous. Always has an opinion. That's Peter. There's people in the church like that. Always asking questions. That's Thomas. Skeptical. There's people that's a bit skeptical. It's like, I don't know if we should do I don't know what the big picture is. I don't know. That's Nathaniel. A little skeptical. A little, trying to see the big picture there a little bit. Quiet. Don't say anything. James the Lesser. Now, how about this for a combination? Simon the Zealot. You have to know a little bit of what the Zealots were. The Zealots were a political party, and they were Jews that hated Rome. Hated Rome. Remember at this time, the Jews are a conquered nation, and Rome is over top of them. So what the Zealots would do, according to secular history, is that sometimes when there was a large crowd of Romans, they would go in there with little small knives and just randomly stab people. And that was their way of terrorizing the Romans. To constantly remind them that we don't want you to be our leader. They hated Rome that much. Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, picked Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector to serve together. Can you imagine the first time they met? Hi, my name is Simon. My name is Matthew. What do you do for a living? I'm a tax collector for Rome. What do you do for a living? I like to stab people. (laughs) That's the body of Christ. What else do you have? Matthew, who is very white-collar. Andrew, Peter, James, John, very blue-collar, fishermen. You have John and James that are hellfire and brimstone. You have James the lesser that's not even saying a word. And then you got the betrayer of Judas. This is the body of Christ. And you know what? 2,000 years later, it hasn't really changed. The problem is this. Satan likes to take these differences and run with them. And he will. He will remind you of all the differences that you have as believers. When really Jesus is trying to say and remind us, you know what, guys, these 12 are an example of this vast array of differences coming together to serve the Lord as one. And please remember, you will not always agree on life scenarios. You will not always see things the same way. And you will not always necessarily set the same priorities in ministry. But the Jesus says, are you willing to celebrate those differences and keep the gospel center focused mostly? And that's what matters most, is to keep that centered focus there. So there's the 12. Please remember that as you study out these gospels and you think of the 12. They're arguing a lot. They're debating a lot. But these are the people the Lord brought together. Now, he gives them their marching orders. Now, this is a long chapter. Long chapter here, 42 verses, and it's really marching orders, the whole thing. This is how I want you guys to go out and do this little missionary journey you're going to go on. We don't have time to cover it all today, so we're going to do up to verse 15 today, and then next week we'll finish up the rules here of them sitting out on their missionary journey. So here we go. 
Here's the rules for the missionary journey that they're going out. Verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics nor sandals nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is in it worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. As surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. Okay, what can we learn from this? Missionary rules here for this missions trip. First one, verse 5, go to the Jews first. Now, that's a gospel thing. Go to the Jews first, verse 5. Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Remember, Jesus was Jewish. He came to the Jews first. Eventually, the Jews reject the gospel message, and the gospel message then goes to the Gentiles, the Samaritans, etc. We've already seen so far in our first ten chapters of Matthew, God giving gospel message to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles. But what Jesus is saying here is the main point of this missions trip is to the Jews first. What is your goal? Verse 7, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's always the goal, folks. It's always the goal is presenting the gospel, is preaching it. That word preach literally means to proclaim. You're here to proclaim the truth that the gospel message is here. Keep it simple. Keep it straightforward. That is why we're here, to glorify God by spreading the gospel and all that we do. Preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8, the miracles that they do confirm the message. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. See, they're going around town to town. They're saying, hey, the Messiah is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But why should we believe you? Well, these miracles confirm the message they were giving. Please note the purpose of these miracles were not to be a circus act. It was not to say, hey, you want to see somebody dead raised? Come back Friday at 7. No, that's not the point of this. The point of these miracles were to confirm the message they were saying that by the name of Jesus, by the power of that name, the proof and power of the Messiah, were doing these miracles. So people would say, how could you do that by the name of Jesus? Well, who's this Jesus? Let me tell you about him. That was the purpose of the miracles. Verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. It's never about the money. We're not going to charge people to have them healed. We're not going to charge people to make them feel better. We're not going to do that. Now, the sad part is this is a point that Jesus tried to make 2,000 years ago. Freely you have received, freely give. We've seemed to have forgotten that, haven't we? I remember hearing years ago, when I first took over out here, there was a family um, that had a very sick child and did not look very well at all for this child. So they were told that there was somebody in Indiana that could heal their child. So they get as much money as round as they could, and they went to Indiana, and it cost a lot of money. They gave all the money to this person, and this person was going to pray or do something, I don't even know the details, and to make their child better. They went to Indiana, gave all the money, person did their thing, child obviously did not get better. Came back, heart broke, crushed, etc. That person, I don't know what was going on in Indiana, I don't know a lot of details, but obviously did not have the freely you have received, freely give. I've gotten letters before from just sources, uh, ministries, etc., that told me they have a word of the Lord for me. And as once I give them my donation, they will then tell me what the word of the Lord is. So they're basically a prophet for hire. Listen, if God has laid something on your heart, you just tell it. 
But we've lost that mindset. Freely, you have received, freely give. And there's a lot of groups, a lot of organizations, not all of them, that it seems to all be about money. So when you run into a non-believer and they say that all you Christians want is my money, the sad part is that may have been what they're familiar with. But the original goal here, verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. Listen, these disciples, these apostles, they, they had no power of themselves. It's of the Lord. They were just sent out. And that's what the word apostle means. The word apostle literally means just sent out. One who is sent. And so when in verse 5 where it says Jesus, the 12 Jesus sent out, that's the same word there, apostle, that you have back in verse 2. So they were just sent out to represent God and to do this. Now, how do they do this? Verse 9, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey nor two tunics nor sandals nor staffs for a worker is worthy of his food. They were supposed to do this in faith. In faith. Jesus calls them up. Hey, guys, quick huddle. I'm sending you out. Here's the deal. Going to give you power over, over disease and sickness and demons. Send you out in groups of two. And already, Go. Well, we need to get some stuff around for this trip. No, you don't. I just want you to go right now in faith. Don't take an extra coat with you. Don't make sure you've got a day's supply of food. And you know what? Don't take any extra money. You just go right now. That's faith. See, what he's trying to train these guys is trust me. Trust me. Some of you are in a spot right now where the Lord is saying, trust me. You're trying to plan everything. You're trying to dot every I. You're trying to cross every T. You want it to be perfect. And the Lord is saying, no, you're just going to walk completely, utterly in faith at this moment and trust that I will provide. Now, is that God's plan for every single time? Well, let's look at this. Can you go with me to Luke, please? Luke 22. See, in Luke 22, he talks about the next time they go out on their second missions trip. And he changes the rules a little bit. Luke 22. Jesus is getting down here to the end of his earthly life. And here's the rules that he gives them. Luke 22, verse 35. And he said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. He says, look guys, did you trust me? I sent you out the first time. Did you lack anything? No. I provided. I took care of you. But now look what happens. Verse 36. Then he said to them, but now, he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. He says, now when I send you out a second time, take some supplies with you guys. Stock up. Now, what can we learn from this? We can learn this. That the Lord can kind of change the rules depending on the scenario. And if you stay just in one spot, sometimes you're really missing out on what he says. There may be a season of life where God says, it's faith, people. Just walk and trust and walk in faith. Then there's another scenario where the Lord may say, nope, I really want you prayed up on this one, guys. Prepared. Get a list around. You're going to have a couple meetings. You're going to make sure everything's ready to go. Neither one is unbiblical. Here's the problem, though. If you're the faith people, you look at the people that are having the meetings and making a checklist, and you say, oh, that's not spiritual. Well, according to Luke 22, it is. If you're the checklist people, you look at the faith people in Matthew 10, you're like, oh, come on, people. Have one meeting. Make sure everybody's got something. Sometimes you're in Luke 22, and God says, I want you to walk like you're in Matthew 10. Sometimes you're in Matthew 10, and God says, no, nah, I want you to plan this one out a little bit. You need to go like with Luke 22. That's the beauty of the Lord. Each situation is unique, and there's been times in my walk where the Lord says, just go. And it's like this faith thing, like, Lord, what are we doing? And there's other times the Lord says, nope, we're really going to plan this one out and pray through this, make sure this is ready to go. 
Each situation is unique. You cover everything in prayer, but the Lord may have you go about it in two different ways. So in Matthew 10, they're walking in faith. In Luke 22, they're still walking in faith, but it's also a faith of preparation, and you see that as well too. What happens now? Verse 11. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is unworthy and stay there till you go out. So you go into a town, and you basically say, hey, we're here to represent the Lord, the Messiah. Uh, Anybody here want to know about this? So let's say there's the nice widowed lady that barely has anything. And she says, I want to know about this Messiah. I want to know about this Lord. So come stay at my house. And she barely has a bed. She barely has a coat. She barely has any blankets or anything. God says, stay there. So you go in and you're blessed. And when you go into a household, greet it. Verse 12. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Now this is where it gets interesting though. Because in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out another group on a missionary journey. They're called the 70. He sends out the 70. And he tells them specifically in Luke chapter 10, when you go into a town, don't shop around for the best house. Don't shop around for the best house. He tells them, be content. So you go into the town, and the little old widow lady barely has anything. And she says, well, at least I got a bed and a mattress and a blanket. So now you preach the gospel, and the first person that gets saved is the richest man in town. And he says, I am so blessed by what you have done. I have a guest house. With a pool. A really big TV. They didn't have TVs back then, but you kind of get the idea of what I'm trying to say. Come stay with me. Jesus tells the 70 in Luke 10, no, stay at the first house you go to. Because it's never about trying to move yourself up the ladder. Just be blessed and content with where you're at. Now, does that mean that you're not allowed to take the promotions at work? You're not allowed to? No, I believe there's the Daniel-Joseph thing. That when you do a good job and you work hard, it will be rewarded by that, and the Lord will move you to the spot that he needs to move you to. You see that with Joseph, you see that with Daniel. But what you see here going on in Luke chapter 10, he's telling these guys, listen, it's not having the best house. It's not having the best stuff. He goes, it's just be content with where you're at. And whatever house you're at, just be blessed there. Because you're about here about spreading the gospel in this missionary journey. Not about you, but it's about them. And if they're blessed by it and they're worthy, hey, peace come upon it, verse 13. But look at us, verse 13 says, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. As surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. If they're willing to accept you, peace be with them. If they're rejecting you, let it go. Just completely let it go. Walk away. We have lost that, haven't we? Because when somebody rejects the gospel now, when we present it, we take it so personally. Christians, we've become so thin-skinned on some of this stuff. We have to remember, the message that we're presenting, the world doesn't really want to hear. Think about the message we're presenting. See, what we think we're presenting is eternity in heaven, forgiveness of sins, peace. You know what sometimes the non-believing world hears? You just said, I'm going to hell. Well, I guess I did, didn't I? So that's what happens is a lot of times churches just kind of take out the whole hell thing. And they really kind of water everything down. Let's just talk about God and love and how much God loves you. And that stuff is all true. But the reality of the gospel message is this. The reason Jesus had to die on the cross is because you and I are sinners. We have done things we shouldn't have done. We do not deserve heaven. And therefore we deserve hell. And the truth gospel message is that hell that I deserve, the price was paid by Christ. That has to be presented. If that's not presented, we're not giving the full gospel message. And so what happens is when we present that, some people just don't want to hear that. And you will be rejected. So when you're rejected, Jesus says right here, let it go. Verse 14, 
Shake off the dust. But sometimes when we get rejected, we sit there and throw this little pity party for ourselves. Lord says, no, you go, so you've got to realize the big picture. Stay in Matthew 10, jump ahead to verse 22. We're going to get into this more next week. But look at Matthew chapter 10, start in verse 22 here. It says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Look at that one more time, verse 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. You don't hear that verse a lot, do you? Not too many people have that on their bumper stickers or on their shirts. But that's what Jesus is saying. He says, listen, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 23. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he should be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which means Lord of the flies, God of the flies, it was a false deity, how much more will they call those of his household? What Jesus is basically saying is this. Listen, if they can't stand me, why do you think they're going to like you? If they wanted to kill me, don't you think that's what they're going to want to do to you? If they want to hear my message, why do you think they want to hear your message? We have a tendency to forget this as believers. So what Jesus is telling here, the original 12 on their first little missionary journey, he says, hey, go present the gospel. If they accept it, rejoice, bless it, amen. If they reject it, move on. Well, how do you move on when it's a loved one? How do you move on when it's a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or it's a co-worker that you see every day? How do you move on? I think sometimes you almost have to spiritually, mentally move on saying, Lord, I have planted a seed in that person through you, and now I trust that through the Holy Spirit, you're just going to lead and guide and water that. And when you open a door, Lord, I'll share and I'll talk. But I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to push it. And I realize it's now between them and the Lord. Isn't it very freeing knowing that salvation does not rest on your shoulders? You do not have the power to save somebody. You only have the power to point them towards the answer, which is Jesus Christ. Just like Andrew, just like Philip, introduce them to Jesus. He'll take it from there. Point them in the right direction, and if they reject it, step back. That's between them and the Lord. As the Lord opens a door, talk to them again. Then step back. As the Lord opens a door, talk to them again. Step back. It's very freeing. And when you realize that from that perspective, it's like, wow, Lord, this ministry thing is really just representing you. It's just telling people about you. He takes care of the rest. And what a beautiful blessing that is. So what can we learn from these first 15 verses here? Well, we can learn the simplicity of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to just proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Make sure the people you know know the truth. As the Lord opens the door, as the Spirit leads, share. Next thing we see, walk in faith. Walk in faith. If you are a Luke 22 person and you've got to have everything in order, God may be telling you to go to Matthew 10 for a while. Walk in faith. Now, also be known, if you're a Matthew 10 person and you've got the walk in faith down, God may be saying it's time to go to Luke 22 for a little bit. Balance that out there as let the Spirit lead. But we're supposed to walk in faith. Please remember the next one. It's never about the money. Never, ever about the money. It's about proclaiming Jesus. Preach and then let it go. Plant that seed and then let it go. We're getting into planting here season. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of seeds planted in the fields around us. Put it in the ground, then you step back and let it go. Yeah, you let the water happen. Yeah, you let the fertilizer happen. Yeah, you pull some weeds. But ultimately, there's nothing you can do to make that seed grow. In fact, the Gospels teach this. The way the wheat seed grows, Jesus says it's a mystery. We don't get it. But it grows. 
We don't fully understand how the gospel works, but I know I plant that seed in somebody and I step back and the Holy Spirit takes it from there. And here's the last one. Don't take it personally. If they're rejecting you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. Don't take it personally when it comes to that. Represent the Lord in all that we say and do. And just some final little points here. Please remember this. As the body of Christ, there's some major differences on how we handle things. Please remember how the Lord moves and works. He brings this very unique group together because it is a blessing to Him. You know, we have uh, seven kids in our house right now. And each one of them handles life and everything in a very, very unique way. And I tell you, it is absolutely fascinating to see the same scenario and how each kid handles it differently. Each kid handles it differently. And what a fun thing that is to see. And I sometimes think the Lord looks down from heaven and sees the same scenario and just wonders how we all handle it differently. You know, Elias loves to be in charge. And so he loves that. And any time that he gets a chance to be in charge, it's just the greatest thing in the world. If my words to him are, Elias, you're in charge. He loves it. The other day, Elias wasn't around. He was doing something else. I had to go do something. I said, Judah, you're in charge. Judah's our second born. Judah says, do I have to be? I said, what's wrong? He goes, I don't really want to be in charge. A couple weeks ago, I think I may have told you the story, Layden wasn't really feeling well, and I had Layden and Tyrus at home. And so I had to go outside and do something, take care of the animals. I don't remember what. And Layden was on the couch resting, so Tyrus was there. Tyrus is our youngest. He just turned four. Layden is six. So I'm getting ready to go outside, and I just made a quick comment, guys. I'm going to go outside for a little bit. Okay, you guys stay in here, and everything will be fine. Tyrus looks at me and goes, can I be in charge? I said, sure, you're in charge. Tyrus, who's four, goes right over to Layden, who's laying on the couch sick at six, and says, I'm in charge of you. <laughs> a little bit of power right there. Don't you think amongst the 12, every now and then, they try to remind each other of who was in charge? I mean, the Bible says they argued on the road all the time. They argued about who was the greatest. They argued about this. They argued about that. Boy, oh boy, it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Please remember these simple points. As the body of Christ, you will not always agree on life scenarios. You won't. I hope you always agree on Jesus being the only way and the gospel being focused. But you will not always agree on life scenarios. Number two, you will not always do things the same way. You will not. And number three, you will not always see the same priorities for the church. You won't. What I want to finish with is this. It's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can just kind of listen here. Talking about the body of Christ. There's diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all and in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Jumping ahead in that same chapter. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So there's an individual nature, there's an individual spirit, there's an individual personality you have. And that's a beautiful thing. But we're still all the body of Christ that comes together. And you see that in those 12 apostles and disciples that the Lord chose when he sends them out. So, Marv, you have to come forward for the final song. What we're going to do next week is we're going to finish up the rest of the rules that he lays down and how it applies to us. But today... We-